Welcome to a new Make Happiness podcast episode. This week, Alex and I are going to be talking about the Arrowhead 135. It is an ultra-endurance race that takes place in the northern Minnesota, specifically International Falls. It's right on the border of Canada. Um, and it is a very hard race. Yeah, there's a lot of elevation in this one. Uh, what was it, like 5,000, 6,000 feet of climbing or something like that? I think it was closer to seven. It was like six, six yeah, and a half. a lot of hills. And they're all punchy, steep climbs. So it even when it's nice out, the, the course is insanity <laughs> well in international falls is like record breaking that's for, tower oh the finish is in tower minnesota yeah and they've got the record coldest temps in the u.s so they have like negative 40 degrees in like most winters and colder yeah yeah luckily the weather was nice to us this year yeah i felt like we got cheated a little bit with this year because it was kind yeah. of it was a warm year well, just means we got to go back <laughs> <laughs> we get the real experience yeah or attempt so let's talk about kind of the race and explain, you know, all the like different requirements you have to do just to get into it. Right. Well, it's um, it's a winter ultra. You can either ski, bike, or run for the 135 miles. Um, just to get into it is kind of tough because they cap the registration at I don't know like what 160 was it? this year. Yeah, somewhere around there, and that's among all three disciplines, right? Yeah. So they try to keep it uh, lower count on the racers just so that way it maintains solitude on the trail they want you to be alone uh ken the race director said multiple times at the race meeting like if you want to like please drop out like keep the finish rates low like i encourage you to not finish this race like they're just <laughs> even the guys on the snowmobiles are like yeah i got a warm sled here for you we can just take you back to the finish and it's like stop it <laughs> quit it but yeah and uh so for the race there's a lot of gear you have to cross the finish line with as well as just getting into it to register before you get to that point, you have to have a number of qualifying races, whether it be a 100-mile winter race or a 200-mile summer race. And you've got to basically make a pitch and put in like a racer resume as to why you um, deserve have, well, deserve it, but also like have the you know knowledge and skills to survive in those conditions because some years it is negative 40 degrees. Like last year. And they, you know... You need to know how to take care of yourself out there, not right. just eating food and drinking water, but managing your layers, preventing frostbite, um, dealing with dead batteries, not having a light. You've got to be able to remedy all these situations and not know what's going to come up. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we could talk about that later, too. There was one guy that had a mechanical out there that was uh, interesting to experience. But um, so just getting into this is kind of a prestigious thing. So even participating is a really big deal. And luckily, we were able to get into it this year. Um, and that's kind of what stemmed this whole thing. But we've been talking about it and kind of, you know, I don't know if anyone listening knows what vision boards are, but it's basically a, a board that has a bunch of pictures of some stuff that you want to do in your life. And we had some photos of us or like some random person from the Internet with us sitting, standing at the finish line with the Arrowhead 135, you know, banner on top and We've been looking at that photo for like three years, two years, just talking about, you know, we should do this at some point in our life, but we had no idea it was going to be this soon. Yeah, it was always kind of one of those bucket list items. Like, yeah, in the next, you know, five or ten years when it happens, it happens. But, you know, it's not something that's going to happen this winter. Like, but sometime when the time is right, this is something I want to check off the list. And so we just kind of kept manifesting that in the back of our minds. And 
um, what was it, 2019? No, 2018. We kind of just set a goal for ourselves, January 2020. Yeah. was the, the timeline we were shooting for. So that was like two years ago. Right. We started planning things out for this. And that's why last summer we kind of got into the ultra endurance gravel racing was so that we could get into the Arrowhead. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> if you listen to the endurance podcast we did, I think we talk about that was the reason we did that first 380 mile gravel race was for Arrowhead. Yeah. So this whole thing has just been a premonition trying to get to this race it's this uh, race means a lot to us apparently yeah I, I don't know why it's like you got to pay 250 dollars just to do the thing and just then you're to taking, suffer and then you're taking time off work and paying for hotels and everything else and then it's like you, yeah you go into some weird mental states out there <clears throat> but so yeah so we did all the stuff we needed to for qualifying races we made a good pitch about the winter camping we've done and survival kind of stuff and uh, we were able to get our entries um passed and so we were able to go up there let's talk about the uh the training that we did you know in the winter like the stuff that we went camping kind of getting our gear figured out and like right so we uh we went camping a couple times down to uh, some river bottoms and just like slept in the middle of the woods and like zero degrees and even i think we woke up and it was like even negative seven or something well, it was... and, and not just slept so we weren't in like a nice comfortable you know three-person tent we were using the required gear for the race so yeah. that way we were familiar with it so you're using a bivy sack which is basically a the size of your sleeping bag a little bit bigger and like a one-person tent that's minimalist and very claustrophobic and for a person like me i absolutely hate it but that's what when Ian says camping, that's that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, a sleeping bag with a little foam or air uh, air pad underneath you to have a little bit of insulation, which is another piece of required gear you have to have. So you have to have a negative twenty sleeping bag, a bivy sack, and an insulated uh, pad, sleeping pad. And so we went on a couple. We did one of those, and it was yeah, like zero degrees or negative seven or something. We had. Um, our stove and like we didn't have the 3,000 calories that you had to have with you no. on our bikes but we were just trying to get familiar with like packing all of our stuff up taking it all out and kind of figuring out you know what works what doesn't and how to set up the bikes right and just familiarity with gear because you want to know how to use it before you get into it because we weren't anticipating sleeping in the race we weren't expecting to need to use it mm -hmm. but we still didn't want to get to an oh shit moment where you've got to get in your bivy now or like I'm falling asleep. I need to get some uh, two hours of sleep and not be familiar with our gear. So that was the reason for doing that. Just so that way it gives you a level of confidence going into it. But then also if there's some weird thing, like I found out the zipper on my sleeping bag tends to get stuck in the fabric. And so I need to be really diligent about zipping it up and down. So I don't rip the, the down on that super expensive negative 20 bag and so some of that kind of stuff is nice to know beforehand because when you're out in the dark and tired and fatigued that's not when you want to be finding those things out also you brought like four different types of fire starters and you were trying to use them all differently to see like oh, what yeah. works the best uh-huh that was uh yep just kind of playing around with different things and uh i came to the conclusion that just use a zippo <laughs> it seems to be the easiest so is there anything else you want to talk about with like training going up to it um, that's as far as training, but then one other thing I wanted to talk about was before the race, two weeks prior, I ended up getting a concussion, which was really poor timing on my part. Um, I was on a group ride and my helmet has a visor on it and I was looking down at the trail trying to pick my line through the snow 
and the visor completely cut out of my field of view a down tree that was going across the log or across the log, <laughs> down, a down log going across still concussed? the trail. Yeah, oh, probably. And uh, I went straight into that thing at like 10 or 12 miles an hour, and like my neck got cranked all the way back. Like I swear, my, my bike and my shoulders, like I was hanging on going straight forward, but I was looking directly at the guy behind me. Like I felt like an <laughs> owl just with my head swiveled around. And I, I remember the first thought going through my head was like, you just snapped your neck. Cause I heard a crack and I was just like, you're done. Like, and like stopped, kind of fell over on the trail a little bit. And I was just like really hurting, but I didn't think anything about a concussion at the time. And then a day goes by and two days go by and I still have a headache and uh, I work in front of a computer all day and looking at screens just made me really, you just feel terrible and if you've never had a concussion i the best way to describe it is like you know if you're car sick trying to read or something like that or you have like a really bad hangover it's like that but every minute of every day for you know up to like a week straight any bright lights any you know you can't read text you can't look at a screen to watch a movie you can't uh, listen to music or podcast because just taking in all of those different sensory things and having your brain try to analyze it just messes with you so hard and so i was just kind of laying in like a dark room like trying to when it was a big concern too doing this doing this race because you're out in the woods in the middle of nowhere and then if you had started getting one of these like headaches or you know stuff started your brain started to hurt like there's nothing you can do like we're out in the middle of nowhere there's no help and that's that was my biggest worry because it was two weeks before the race day And five days go by and I'm still having symptoms and headache. And then all of a sudden it kind of went away. And then after that weekend, Monday comes around and I was fine all day at work, came home. And then all of a sudden it hit me again, like nausea, headache, like really bad. And then after that, it was just kind of tapered off and was good. But it was kind of a scare for me because I didn't, you know, every, every concussion is different. That's the thing. It's not like a broken bone where it breaks and you know, you've got, two weeks, three weeks, and it's going to be healed. Or you can't put a set time on it because every body is different. Every impact is different. Every recovery is different. And so trying to make those calls is a difficult thing to do. And so I just kind of was rolling with it and hoping for the best. Right. And now, like, so leading up to the this like the week of the race, our dad it was supposed to be our taxi driver. This is kind of changing on subjects, but he ended up getting like some food poisoning or some stomach flu or something, and he didn't know if he was going to be able to drive us. And he was he was the one who was going to kind of take us and taxi us up to the start and the finish. And then he didn't know if he was going to be able to because he didn't want to get us sick and he didn't know if he was going to be, you know, like yeah. hurting the whole time and didn't want to whatever. So two days before we were supposed to drive up there. Yeah. So our, uh, like, emotions are just like, well, how are we supposed to get up there? Or like, because you, it's a point to point race. So the finish is, you know, an hour and a half away from where the start is. More where than our, that. Yeah. Where our car would be. And we were trying to figure out how we could get our car back, and we were just, like, Trying to figure out the logistics of it. Yeah, Yeah, that was kind of a headache, but... Yeah, a headache. I had a headache. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It ended up working out. Our dad, I think he was just, like, some food poisoning or something, because he felt fine after Saturday when we were going to leave. So he ended up driving us up there, which was super awesome. And because Alex has a cargo bike, we have to take a trailer, so we kind of just shove our bikes in a trailer and strap them down with a tarp and, you know, take it up 
made the way up and checked into our hotel. That was Saturday, and the race started on Monday morning at 7 a.m. And so we got to the hotel and maybe like early afternoon, late afternoon, started putting all of our stuff, like brought everything into the room and um, gearing up our bikes. And we noticed that there was a mandatory gear check on Saturday as well as Sunday. So we ended up going to the gear check on Saturday just to get it over with and get everything checked off. Because there's a mandatory uh, check that you have to do, just like to Scobia, where you have to have, you know, 3,000 calories and a stove and all that other stuff we mentioned. So we did that. Um, what else did we do? I slept. That was, yeah, that for, it was kind of nice getting up there two days beforehand, too. We planned that because we didn't know what weather was going to be. Yeah. And that way we could get familiar with it because I've never been that far north and we hear from everybody that's done this typically the weather forecast isn't always accurate it might be 10 degrees colder in that city once you get up there and so that was the idea for getting up a few days ahead of time which i think was really nice but then the anticipation of doing the race kind of gets to you and you just want to get going yeah definitely so the waiting was hard um the other nice thing was uh sunday we got to go pre-ride the course and uh just see how the snow conditions were um i think we rode out five miles and then came back and it was really funny too because we had we had all our stuff strapped to our bikes and just so it was ready to go and that way we were uh, familiar with the weight and the handling and stuff and we're going through town it's this tiny little town on the border of Canada and um, the snow they had so much more snow there every street and driveway and parking lot like had like four or side. five feet of snow yeah it was it was amazing it was like a winter wonderland and we're going through town to get to the start of the trail for this little pre ride. And there's some guy out shoveling, just doing his thing. And he looks up and sees us biking by and just goes, hey, good luck tomorrow. It's like everybody in the town knows about this thing. It was just absolutely wild. It was mind-blowing. <clears throat> yeah, that was pretty funny. He's just, well, I'm sure, I mean, in these kind of small towns, it's like this is like the big event for the year, you know. Helps a lot of revenue and like all these people come in. and well, They get a ton of publicity, too, because this is like some of those years when the conditions are terrible, like. It's a big thing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Sunday we had the uh, mandatory race meeting where they just go over the rules and the course and stuff to be uh, on the lookout for. Um, yeah, the guy uh, last year, someone had a case of frostbite on his eye. So yeah. we didn't even know that you could get frostbite on your eye. But yep. apparently that's a thing. And his he was eyeball like, was like frosted over with ice crystals on it like yeah. on the surface of his eye and he couldn't see out of it. He was blind out of one eye. That's insanity. Yeah, I'm glad it was warm this year. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, that course was really rough, but I'm okay with how the weather was. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the racer meeting was kind of, it was fun seeing everyone because there's a lot of people, too, that we know just from doing these kind of races. It's the same group of people who go from race to race. To race. <laughs> All these events, yeah. But <clears throat> a special group of people. Well, and that was uh, one racer, We uh, this woman that was running it. We were talking to her at breakfast at the hotel one morning. And the Arrowhead kind of slogan or whatever, their motto is, cowards won't show. And she was kind of poking fun at it, like, yeah, but smart, intelligent people don't show up either. Like, why are we doing this? <laughs> it's like, yeah, you, you make some sense. So, yeah, that was cool. And that was Sunday. And then got up maybe, I don't know, like 6 o'clock on Monday. The race was at 7. And our hotel was maybe a mile or two miles away from the race start. Yeah, super. Well, the town's so small. I mean, everything is right there. Yeah. But we... Uh, had breakfast at the hotel and then loaded up and biked over to the start. You had to check in before the start at this like little hockey arena community center thing. 
And then, uh, so the race started on the snowmobile trail and it's just 135 miles of this gorgeous snowmobile trail up in Northern Minnesota. And at the start, I think it was like a little over 10 degrees, somewhere yeah. around like really low teens, which is pretty optimal for, in my opinion, for this stuff. A lot of people will say closer to zero is good, but I think teens are like a nice temperature for layering and, uh, keep the snow hard pack. But the snow was phenomenal. Like yeah. for that first bit, everything was pristine. Well, we kept joking about like it's you know a hundred times better than Tuscobia. Yeah. Like this is a dream. That was our introduction to winter ultras. So then racing this, it's our second ever winter ultra. We're like, this is amazing. Like the snow is wonderful. But yeah, the the course was gorgeous. It had snowed the week before, and every single uh, tree, every single you know bush, and like. There's just pine trees everywhere. It was beautiful. But they're yeah. all just dusted in this, like, soft snow that kept falling. And it looked absolutely incredible. Yeah, the trail, we kept, like, race started at 7. And so the bikes start first. And then uh, the skiers are two minutes after. And then the runners are two minutes after that. So we're kind of, like, everyone starts at the same time. But, you know, it's like a two-minute break. Um, yeah, we, there was maybe 70, 80 bikers. I think it was, like, yeah, 78, 76, somewhere around there. Yeah. So we we were going pretty fast out of the gate. We were holding up with that first group of people. Well, the leaders they broke off right away. They were gone. Oh yeah. And then we were kind of with the first main pack of like maybe eight people or something. Yeah. We were riding with them for like twenty miles or so. Yeah, we were going like a solid twelve, thirteen. Yeah. And then like the pace line we were in with the eight guys like. We'd just be cruising along, and then, like, you'd look back, and there'd be seven. And then, like, cruising along, and, like, you know, somebody peels off in the that's pulling the pace line, and then the next guy pulls up, and then, like, you look back, and you're like, oh, now there's six. And then, like, it yeah. just... <laughs> Everyone kept dropping. And then, eventually, Ian and I dropped, and then and they yeah. kept going. Yeah, at that point, there was maybe, like, three of them who kept going, and then we just were like, yeah, this, let's slow down a little bit. This is a marathon, not a sprint kind of thing, and yep. we understand... A little bit more now we're getting more experience of like let's save our energy for i know i still need to figure out my layers that's one thing i'm lacking on yeah i need to get more familiar with that stuff i did pretty good i think for the first half i had a the 45 north torvald jacket that was just a super thin it's basically like a windbreaker but it's vented right yeah so it's super breathable and it was like it worked really well so that was awesome. I probably honestly could have left that on for the whole race, but I ended up putting on my Torvald jacket, which is the 45 North's like heavier version, or it's like a, you know, like right. they're full fledged. It's, like, it's actually insulated. Yeah. And because when we stopped at mile 35 is the first checkpoint at Gateway, which is a convenience store slash gas station that they kind of like, you know, make as like an outpost. Well, for... It's also the only thing out there. Like yeah. there is nothing there. <laughs> So we get to there, uh, we get to that checkpoint, you know, we sign in, we, you have to say your number and then they check you in and then you also have to say your number when you leave so they know how long you're at the checkpoint. But we got there and Alex was kind of shivering and very cold. I, I and, was wet and I got really cold when we got, like I was shivering and I was kind of worrying me because it was so early on in the race and I didn't want to have to deal with layers and there's nowhere in there to... And it's the first checkpoint. Like, the goal, you know, you never want to spend a ton of time at the first checkpoint. No, and that's the hardest part, is to be in and out. Yeah, and so, like, you know, swapped out my toe warmers. Um, I bought a Gatorade there and downed a sandwich that I had brought with me. Took a serving of Spiz, which we had planned before to just take one ba one serving, basically, at every rest stop. Mm -hmm. We had them portioned out. Um, 
but we ended up spending 30-ish minutes at that first checkpoint before we left, which is a pretty long time. I think a lot of people were like, you know, closer to 15 or less, if that. Yeah, there was a couple because we were in that we were, you know, the top 15 people. So all those people that come in when we were hanging out, they are just in and out. They know what they're doing. They know, you know, they know exactly like they filled their water and left. kind of Yeah, (laughs) they were on a mission where we're just like, we have no idea. Right. Well, and then uh, we're getting ready to go. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom quick before we leave. And there's a line of like four people waiting to go to the bathroom. And I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to go on the trail. Like, let's just get back out there and get five miles down and we'll stop somewhere. And uh, we left and got going. And like, I could not warm up my hands for whatever reason. Um, I think it was because that was the other, that's one thing I learned there. I left my gloves in my pogies, I think, yeah, because outside. I had, because I had liners on and we got back outside. I went to put my insulated gloves on, but they were all wet and cold from sitting in my pogies. So when you get to the checkpoint, Bring your gloves inside with you. <laughs> Lesson one. Yeah. I so gotta, I got to ask, um, did the temperature difference from last year to this year sort of affect your, your setup or your what sort of what you assumed it was going to be versus what it was? Or I noticed someone posting, I can't remember who it was, but I think you commented on it. It's like someone saying they had to deal with sweat this year. Yeah. Because it was warm. Um, yeah. So we signed up for this, you know, four months in advance. So you don't know what the weather is going to be. Mm-hmm. And last year it was negative 40 for a majority of the race, which was great snow conditions. It's like riding on asphalt, but you've got to deal with being out there in the cold. And as long as you're moving, your body's generating heat. But when you stop, it really sucks. And that was the one thing this year, as it got closer and closer to the race, we could see that it was going to be, you know, low to high twenties, kind of like in that range throughout the day, which kind of sucks for trail conditions and a lot of people were worried about sweat management and layers but Mm -hmm. that's what we typically ride in so i think it kind of served us well because it's a familiar place for us right we had that comforting confidence of like we know this temperature we know kind of the what it feels like yeah it's not like we're diving into a new environment at negative 40 as well as a new race course that we're not familiar with so there it yeah, like Ian was saying, it just gave us a little more confidence, I think, being so familiar with those temperatures. We we still brought, like, our down jacket, our, you know, oh, shit, mittens, or, or yeah, some outdoor we don't, research. we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I don't know if we're going to be out there for a day or three days. Like, Yeah, you bring everything you can. That was one thing, too. We probably had the heaviest, you know, bikes of gear on. Like, we had so We much. were definitely up there. there were, I saw a few pretty heavy, heavily loaded bikes, but we were definitely up there. <clears throat> we always carry way too much shit and more food than we need i brought so much food but i'd rather have it because like i said i don't know how long we're gonna be out there how long we're gonna be walking right i want to stay fueled up the last thing i want to do is get somewhere and not have food or water left yeah we I'll, i want to talk about nutrition later on let's get back to where we are in the race so we're leaving gateway we're you know feeling all right but we're cold and we're trying to warm up i was uh another thing too i want to mention is your your stomach fat like right on your belly for whatever reason that got really cold because it's not it, you know your fat doesn't insulate you so that was super like would not warm up for me and i don't know why but that was kind of struggle you had your hands and for me it was like my belly fat was just super cold yeah my fingers were like my particularly like my middle finger on like both hands was just white and i couldn't i had hand warmers in i was like fisting my hands inside of my gloves I was doing the windmill thing trying to get blood flow going and it was i was just like it's gonna warm up in like 10 or 15 minutes I think, <laughs> but that's a, you don't know. I'm just like, I really hope it warms back up. It was probably a solid, you know, half hour before you were starting to feel good again. And like, yeah, that's the thing. You just need to be moving and like 
keep your blood flowing in your body. That's probably why a lot of those people are just in and out. You know, it's easier to just keep going versus stop exactly. for a while. Absolutely. And the more we see that, the more it kind of sets in like, oh, okay, there's a there's a reason they're doing that. It's not just to be fast. It's yeah. because it keeps your body regulated mm-hmm. the same. After we leave Gateway, that's kind of when the hills start. So there was quite a bit of climbing from Gateway to Mel George. Yeah. So what? Gateway was like mile 35-ish. And yeah. And Mel George is just after mile 70. So and, we had like another 35 to go. And Mel George is the second checkpoint at this lodge cabin you know resort resort thing they've got different cabins and it's like right on a big lake yeah and that was really that was the best checkpoint ever but before we get into that there's a we started seeing some of the hills and there was this one first punchy uphill that was pretty straight up and it was kind of small compared to like the whole course itself now looking back but it was like the first you know steep hill mm-hmm. and we're just walking up it, and then there's this guy up at the top with his phone and he's taking a photo of us walking up the hill and <laughs> just like well struggling to walk <laughs> up the hill too not like yeah that was funny we're near vertical and you're trying to push a 70 pound bike yeah it's, it's tough let's i when we got up to the top i was like well so are the hills starting now he goes no the hills haven't even like this is just the beginning you have a lot in store for later on yeah god it's something it's crazy it's absolutely wild but so that section we were kind of going we were like playing uh like what are the some game of like you know leapfrog yeah (laughs) that one (laughs) yeah that game with maybe three or four other racers, because we just like someone would stop, you know, they're doing food or they're re drinking water, or doing some layers. We'd pass them, and then they'd catch us the next time we were stopped, and we just this back and forth constantly. Yep. And every time it's like, y'all good? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, everybody's always checking in, like, are you okay? <laughs> are you alive? Which that's the uh, like this just kept going through in my mind. Uh, there's a meme from The Simpsons with. Uh, ralph wiggum where he's just like i'm in danger (laughs) it's like you just keep thinking about that like while you're out there in the cold (laughs) oh just this happy little voice in your head like i'm fucked (laughs) (laughs) but yeah we were at like mile 50 like 20 miles from gateway and that was the first time i bonked where i was just totally gassed and feeling like wiped and i'm just like i like this is a long way to go we're like barely a third of the way there and that was uh Kind of when the hills were just long, they weren't really that steep either. There's just like constant, like you're either going up a really long hill and then you get a nice little downhill for a while and then you go back up a giant. Yeah. At the bottom of that downhill starts another uphill. It's just up, down, up, down. Yeah. And uh, on one of those hills, we actually saw uh, another racer, Steve Cannon. He's a a pretty, you know, we're not, I don't know how he's well known. Yeah. But he rode his bike from um, what is it, Anchorage? Anchorage, yeah. Anchorage to Nome, and the I did a rod trail invitational. Thousand miles across Alaska, yeah. by, by yourself, like in the middle of nowhere. You're that's survival, is what that is. <laughs> but so he was on the side of the trail, and he was messing around with his bike. He had his bike flipped upside down, and you know, of course, wait, hey, how's it going? Like, what do you need? Are you doing good? And then he was talking about how his sidewall and his tire wasn't sealing or there was a hole in it or something. So he said his, yeah, his sidewall was starting to go. So it was leaking air. Yeah. And so he'd, he was pumping it up every two miles and like, he'd try to go and see if it would seal again. And then it would, you know, go flat and he'd have to stop and pump it up. And um, yeah, we asked him if he needed a tire or a tube or anything. Cause we had a bunch and he was just like, no, I got one. I'm just being stubborn. Just like, well, yeah, I mean, they're supposed to seal. Like, I don't want to change out a, a flat or put a tube in in the middle of the trail yeah. that would suck at least it was you know 
20 degrees. Imagine trying to do that when it's negative 40. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that where my head's at. I'm just like, that. that's insane. <laughs> but, <clears throat> yeah, that was the only real mechanical we experienced out there. Saw. So, I guess you had some issues with your shifting. You think your derailleur hanger got bent or something? Yeah, I don't know. There was one gear that just would skip constantly. So as long as I was out of that gear, I was fine. Yeah. But... It was kind of annoying because that gear was the optimal gear that you want to be in right. when you're pedaling. So it's just like, of well, of course that's the one. <laughs> yeah, do I want to be pedaling, putting out a little more more power in the higher gear, or do I want to be spinning my legs in a little bit easier? Well, gear? So maybe that gear is why your knees were hurting. Maybe. But yeah, Ian was having some knee pain a little bit out there. Yeah. Um, one other guy that we were kind of uh, playing leapfrog with out there, we had talked to at the hotel beforehand. His name is Ryan. But so he was opting to do this unsupported, which um, some of the racers, whether you're biking, skiing, or running, you can do it supported or unsupported. And if you opt to do it unsupported, you're not allowed inside any of the checkpoints. You're not allowed food or water from any of the checkpoints. You are, whatever you leave the start with is what you have until you get to the finish. So they're bringing all their own food. If you run out of water, you've got to stop and melt snow you are entirely on your own. And so this guy we were riding with, Ryan, was doing it at unsupported, and he was and he's never done it unsupported, but he's like, if there's a year to do it, I think this is the one to go for it. And um, we were talking on the trail for a while, and it turns out he forgot his beef sticks in the refrigerator at the hotel, so he was a little bit short on the food that he was expecting to have with him. But it was fun just getting to chat with him. He's done this a handful of times and knows what he's doing. And mm-hmm. um, He was at Tuscobia this year too, which... Um, kind of cool but just being able to share conversation with all these people out there and yeah that pick, was a pick really their brains about <laughs> what they know it was super fun just like talking with strangers out in the you know the middle of the trail <laughs> just like joking with each other and just yeah. bullshitting like it, it helped a lot well it makes the time go by and that's one thing this course like it was beautiful out there but there's so many hills up and down and turns left and right it it you're constantly engaged with the, the trail tra- and what you're doing yeah. versus some races that are like Tuscobia where it's like a rail trail. It's just flat and straight the whole way. This, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of variety out there. That's what we, we were kind of messing around at the first five miles. We we're like, wow, this trail has turns. <laughs> this is amazing. I know. Yeah, um, that was great. <clears throat> so we get to the second checkpoint at Mount George and the trail kind of dumps you out on the opposite side of the lake and then you bike across the lake to the checkpoint, to the lodge. And so we're riding across the lake, and the wind is pretty nuts and pretty intense because of how you know open everything is. Right. So we're just sitting in here, and you can see like the wind blow the snow across the a lake, and we're in this pace line of like, it was me and you, and then I think Ryan or one other person behind us. There's like three of us. We're all just going, going along, and then someone behind us just starts booking it, and he goes flying past us, and he gets up into the head of the pace line, and then goes for you know maybe five ten minutes in the front. It wasn't even that long. Yeah, <laughs> but then he, uh, he backs off and he just goes, "Yeah, sorry guys, I had to be in front for the photos. My my kids and my wife were taking photos." And yeah. he points over, and sure enough, his like support crew is sitting there with cameras. Right, and then he backs off and starts going slow again. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Right. Yeah, and then we so that we got across the lake and rolled into uh, Mel George checkpoint at like four thirty ish or a little before that. So it was before sundown, which that was our goal was hit Mel George before sundown. Yeah. So we were kind of right on track with that, and our whole goal going into this race, obviously just to get to the finish line, but um, our goal was to do it without sleeping and just bike straight through and finish in under twenty four hours if we could, and so 
Um, that's why we had kind of set the, if we get to halfway by before sundown, we should be kind of on track with where we want to be. So that was, uh, reassuring to see. And then we get inside there and it was just a beautiful oasis. Yeah, it was. It sucked because we were riding with, uh, Ryan who was doing it unsupported and I was like, we were five, 10 miles out and I'm trying to like, you know, give myself encouragement because I was done and I was just like, all right, only like 10 more miles and then we got grilled cheese waiting for us. And I look over, I'm just like. I mean, I've got grilled cheese waiting for me. Like, I'm sorry, Ryan. <laughs> but yeah. so we roll up there, and then he gets out his stove and starts making oatmeal and melting water. And we go inside. We get grilled cheese. They've got soup waiting for us. There's a dry rack next to a fireplace. Like, yeah, it was amazing. <clears throat> and the volunteers there were so nice. They were so helpful. They're just like, yeah. "What do you need? Like, do you want a second one, or like, do you want some pop?" Oh, and grabbing you... your water bottle to fill it and doing this. It's like, I can, I can fill it. Like, yeah. thank you though. But yeah, they're so helpful. And a lot of people at that halfway point will sleep there because it's a lot easier to sleep at the, a checkpoint than it is out on the trail in your bivy. And mm-hmm. at Mel George, you can actually rent rooms there and have a, a yeah. nice indoor place to sleep. Well, they only have like maybe 10 cabins or something, so they fill up super quick. But, but... some people will share them. You know, yeah. they might sleep four people to a room or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a lot of people's strategy going into this is sleep halfway and then finish the rest of it the next morning or in the middle of the night. I saw some people left Mel Georgia like three in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, after a couple hours of sleep and kept going. Uh, so yeah, that checkpoint was awesome. We spent maybe, was that half hour, 45 um, minutes? I got it. 38 minutes. Yeah. So that was a little bit longer than we expected to. I wanted like to keep the checkpoints 20 minutes or so, but they always go longer. Yeah. We so. did a good job keeping them as short as we could, but yeah, we were, we were hoping for like 20, 30 at all of them and that, didn't happen <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was probably 40 minutes at the last one but so we started packing everything back up you know we're a little bit i swapped out all my layers for my spare stuff in my handlebar bag so i brought some spare layers so i put all my dry stuff on because it was we were going to be biking into the dark overnight and i didn't know how cold it was going to get yeah because it's usually a lot colder at night so i didn't know if it was going to get down to like negative 10 or zero or you know what the temperature was going to do so I put all my dry layers on, put all my wet stuff into my bag, and then we kind of, you know, slowly get onto our bikes and well, accept and the fact that we're going out. Yeah, well, and we know that this next part's going to be hilly. That's what everybody talks about is the sections between checkpoint two and three. That's where you have all of the hills, and it's just the worst part of the course. Yeah. But, yeah, we got outside of the cabin at Mel George, and Ryan's just putting away his stove and stuff, and he's like, yeah, I had, you know bowl of warm oatmeal that was really good but right now i'm shivering and i'm really cold so i'm gonna get going see you guys later <laughs> it just starts biking away it's like dude hardcore yeah but it was nice biking with him and like seeing how that operates for unsupported and like what the best approach is and what kind of tactics they use and that kind of thing mm-hmm. but it was just mind-blowing to watch it and like holy shit dude <laughs> like even coming inside of the warm place like this is tough but <clears throat> we uh when we're when you're coming out of the second checkpoint at Mount George there's this extra 10 mile loop people talk about that we didn't know about we thankfully someone they talked about a little bit at the Raider uh racer meeting and uh previous like we ran into him somewhere but he was talking about how there's a hard right turn and it's like you know a 120 degree turn and you want to go right instead of left because the trail just kind of gradually turns left but you want to turn hard right, and a lot of people just follow the yeah, trail. Yeah, it's at the bottom of a hill. You're kind of coming down. It's really easy to miss. Yeah. But if you just miss that turn and follow the trail, it brings you all the way back out to the T-intersection before the lake, 
and then you end up crossing the lake again and coming back into the lodge. And so it's just an additional 10 mile loop that just brings you right back to where you were. And uh, one guy did it this year. Every year there's somebody. But when we made that right turn, because we knew about it, and we got a mile out, and I was mm-hmm. like, okay, look for that turn. Like, we can't miss it. And we turn right. There's a bunch of tire tracks turning right. And I see one set of tire tracks that went left. I'm like, oh, there's that's the guy. <laughs> but that uh, after that that hard turn, there was that one massive hill that we were climbing, that we were walking up. Do you remember that? Yeah, where it kind of, like, hooked left at the top. It yeah, that was huge. Going. You come around some of these corners, in the, and it's, you know, getting it's dark out at this point. Yeah. You like come around a sweeping turn in the middle of the snow covered pine trees and then you just see a wall of white in front of you and you're like looking up it with your headlamp and like the headlamp quits going before you can see the top. You're like, I think that's it, but I'm not sure where the end of this is. <laughs> and you just start walking. <laughs> the uh yeah, we just you know pedal down and like the downhills were awesome too they were so rewarding like we were flying on those hills yeah oh yeah because you just you bomb the downhill and then you coast up the next hill as much as you can and then just jump off your bike and start walking Yeah, you don't even try to pedal these there's no way you can pedal up these yeah uh so we were doing that for we got into like a little bit of a rhythm and you know we got maybe 15 miles. And we weren't riding with anybody. Either. No, they, we were just by ourselves and we weren't even really saying a word to each other. We were both just in this like exhausted state, just yeah. kind of like head down, keep going. And it's like, Hey, I need to stop for some food or like, Hey, I'm going to get some water. And then like, we'd stop and drink water. And then like, <laughs> that was the extent of the conversations. Yeah. For maybe like an hour and a half, two hours. We didn't say a word other than that. No. But we ended up getting to, I don't know, it was some hill. It was like right around mile 90, I think. That's when I, I remember looking down, like when I was just su- feeling super just, tanked, and it was like right around 90. We were just both beat and dead and, you know, done. We're, we always just, I want to be done. Yeah. <laughs> but some some headlights are coming up behind us, and it's uh, Trenton. He's uh, pretty, he hosts Filthy 50 and the Dam, the Day Across Minnesota. But he came up behind us and was like, hey, do you guys care if I ride with you for a little bit? And we're both just like, please, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, anything to make the time go by quicker. Yeah, so that was really cool. We, um, yeah, we're, he was like, how are you doing? And we're just like, well, I'm hitting the wall. He was, I think, in the same boat. He was, yeah. Because he was just like, oh, you know, I've been better. I'm doing okay. He's just. That's the thing. Nobody leads on to how they're really doing. They're just like, maybe if I tell myself I'm okay, I'll be okay. <laughs> But uh, we ended up riding with him the rest of the way to the Surly TP at Checkpoint 3, and the time out there was really great. And just the conversation makes the time go by so much quicker. Yeah. And um, we're just going and going, and I, I think he was out of water, wasn't he? Yeah. He well, didn't he, say anything about it, but... No, he, his camelback was leaking or something. Or did it freeze, maybe? No, it was leaking at the mouthpiece. Like, the hose was, oh. like... Uh, cracked or something so he had to like stick his mouth over the entire mouthpiece so he could drink out of it one more story about camelbacks malfunctioning it's like everybody tells me to run one and they seem fast but when they malfunction you get wet and then you're screwed yeah but we're just you know slowly making our way walking up hills through the woods (laughs) coasting down and then walking up the next one and like you know there'd be some that are really shallow like really low grade hills that are just kind of gentle climbs and we're just kind of like yeah, this looks like a walker. <laughs> just like, you <laughs> know, dismount and start walking. It's like, we probably could have pedaled it, but I don't want to. Yeah. We all just look at each other, just like, yeah, let's walk. Just yeah. everyone agrees. 
and we're just waiting for the surly tp we're we're not really sure where it is like we think it's mile 110 that's what they said but it's in the middle of the woods it could be anywhere and so we're just kind of like every corner we're like are there can we see the fire like is that is that the tp can we see it yet and then there's like this orange flickering light that you can see through the trees around this tight right corner and we're just like that's got to be it like are we here but looking at the mileage we were like six miles early and then all of a sudden this orange light starts moving and it's just like floating through the woods and then a snow groomer comes flying around the corner and it's like a big snow machine towing a 25 foot long sled that's grooming and grading the trail and so we're all just like oh shit like quick get off the snow (laughs) get off the trail into the waist deep powder that's next to you because yeah. nobody wanted to get run over, but none of us knew what to do. Like, you don't see these things while you're out there. I don't know why they were grooming it in the middle of a race. The snow was fine to begin with. But <clears throat> that was a, a whole new thing that none of us knew what to do with. It just looks like a steamroller coming at you. It's not going fast, but it's going like four well, miles an hour. And it's, and just it's like, like midnight. Is that guy <laughs> driving it awake? Like, <laughs> yeah. So we were just going, shit, get off the trail. And yeah, it's waist deep. Like when I went to go get off, I forgot that it was waist deep. So I just sink in like, yep. four feet. And was- he just sees like three headlamps looking at him <laughs> from the snow. <laughs> but yeah, he, he like slowly goes by and then I'm just looking at the trail and I'm just like, well, this is either going to be a super awesome highway or it's going to be super shitty. And Trent started, uh, he's a guinea pig and tried riding it for a little bit and got up like it was a small hill. So he's like riding up the hill, gets up to the top and he was just like, yep, it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> that, that snow is super soft. I think after a few hours in the cold, it kind of sets up and gets firmer, but right after they groom it, it's too soft. Yeah. And so, you know, fortunately the groomer doesn't take up the whole trail at that point. Um, the, the trail throughout the whole race at it was like, I think at the narrowest, maybe like six or seven feet wide. Mm-hmm. And there's some sections where it would open up to like 30 feet wide, where there's just like big open prairies. But um, the section we were at, it didn't take up the whole trail. And so there was like a two foot wide shelf on the right side that we were able to ride. That was the old trail that was really nice. And some sections it would get narrow and we'd lose that. And then it would widen up again and we'd get back on it. But we're just riding single file trying to find the best line through this thing. Yeah. Still five miles out, which... It's like 45 minutes away because we're going six miles an hour, seven miles an hour. <clears throat> and that, yeah, we were, it was a very false, you know, excitement because. Oh, yeah. I think all of us <laughs> were just like, oh, thank God, the, the fire, we're here. Uh, and then, no. Yeah, we're just t- ticking away. We're just, you know, riding along single file. And finally, we. Um, turn or like we get to i don't know we like turn around or we saw those two skiers that's what it was (laughs) yeah Yeah. not not racers just people skiing on the trail yeah i don't know maybe spectators or something yeah they were waiting for a racer to come in but uh we asked them just is there a tp up there just like yeah it's where we started you're really really close we didn't make it very far and then you you found her glove uh, that was on the floor? or uh, Yeah, there was a glove sitting on the trail. And I was like, it's either somebody that's going to be sitting at the checkpoint or whatever. And mm-hmm. the, I, then we saw those two people skiing. And I was like, hey, is this yours? And turns out it was. But that was really nice just seeing them. And then we're like, okay, like just hammer down. Like it's around one of these corners. Yeah. And then, yeah, roll in and they're just blasting fireworks. Yeah. Yeah, they've got these uh, Vikings horns that are like, you know, belting through and just welcoming everybody that comes in and they've got music blaring through the speakers it you got was, a big it was fire really amazing. yeah there's like and... weird dolls and like 
corpses strapped to the trees, you know, yeah. just really surly stuff. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, I rolled in, I'm like, what is this? It's just tiki torches. I was, like, waiting for drums and, like, you know, <laughs> Some a kind sacrifice. Of <laughs> yeah, we finally get there, and we just, like, dismount, and I'm, my body's so stiff trying to get off the bike. I almost fell over trying to, like, get off and, like, hold myself upright, and you're taking all your, your water out to go refill inside of the teepee and like, I'm trying to get my food in my bag of spiz so I can do a, a bottle of spiz, the meal replacement mix stuff. And I set both my water bottles on the floor and then I like a walk over to the teepee and one of the, uh, surly, uh, crew, they, Jeff, he's just looks over and he's like, yeah, don't you want those? Just like, Oh shit. <laughs> just, I completely forgot. I left everything out on my bike that I was supposed to bring in to refuel. I was just so sleep deprived and, you know, yeah. exhausted. And then, uh, we get into the teepee and it's actually pretty big. I was, I've never, they have like a full fledged, like heater or like a stove in there. And yeah, there's a wood stove that gets piped up through the top. Yeah. So it's like, you know, 50 degrees in there or something. We're drying off our really clothes. Nice. Uh, we had there's like a little dry rack. Took off our socks and yeah, all the sandwiches because we had we brought snacks with you know like Fritos and like a you know and granola or nuts or whatever. But then we also had like some actual sandwiches that was like a meat and cheese and bread sandwich. Those had frozen and so it was like setting those on the stove to kind of like warm them up like a little panini. So then the the bread got toasted and warm, but then the meat and cheese was still frozen. <laughs> so you're biting into this like half frozen sandwich that's like hot and cold, and you're just like, like I didn't care at all. Obviously, you know at these points it's just like mm, food. But yeah, it, it was just like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. why are we here? Yeah. And uh, Trent, before we got to the checkpoint, he's like, yeah, you know, I think I'm gonna just be like five ten minutes, get in and out, and just keep going. He ended up staying there for like half yeah, hour. As long as we did, yeah, almost. We yeah. were at, we were at Surly for an hour. That wow, was, that was our longest checkpoint. Damn. But uh, while we were there too, a skier rolled in, the first place skier, and he caught us at Mel George too. So there was a skier holding pace with us biking, which was mind blowing to me because like, I mean, we were not going fast, but we weren't going slow. Mm-hmm. And this guy is just killing it. But 135 miles on skis, like, I don't know. To me, that's crazy, but. Um, yeah, the Surly was a really nice oasis. It sucks because all they have for you is water. They don't have any food for you or anything else. All the other checkpoints, like, you know, Gateway, you can buy food. It's a gas station. At Mel George, they're making soup and sandwiches, and they've got chips out on the table. You can just munch on whatever you want. But at Surly, you get water. And they've got some nice scotch and whiskeys for you. But that's it. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to grab some. I was going to have some, but I was just... Completely spaced on taking some before well, we left. It's probably for the best. I yeah. feel like that would have just put me to sleep. You're a sleeper. Yep. Yep. And then, uh... <laughs> yeah, the so other... Trent leaves and he's like, yeah, we'll meet you. Like, I'll see you up at the next hill. Yeah. Like, we'll, you'll catch up with us. And he dips out while we're getting our clothes on. And then we kind of slowly take our time because we're not in any rush. We're just like, ah, whatever. Like, let's yeah. race we, our own race. We quit caring. Yeah, what was that, uh... Um, you don't don't race to win, just race your own race. Yeah, or something it's like race that. your own race is the advice, which is a really good, I think, to keep in mind. That yeah. I was thinking about that quite a lot. It's like, don't let other people who are passing you or other, you know, that, you know, mentality, your competitiveness get in your own head because it's your own race, you know, it's your own thing. Right. Well, and when you start doing that too, then you forget to get a drink of water. You forget to 
eat some food and then before you know it you're in a spot that you can't bounce back from Mm -hmm. so focusing on yourself just really gets you in tune with what needs to happen for you to get where you want to get to yeah, so we leave Surly. We're feeling a lot better because we got to hang out for a bit, and everyone at Surly is just badasses. And- well, and familiar faces. I mean, we knew a fair amount of the people there, so it was nice to just hang out. Yeah. Our dad was there. Uh, he was at all, all three checkpoints when we rolled in to, you know, just get some photos and say hi, see how things are going. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, everybody talks about how beautiful this course is and, like, these rolling hills. Because when you're at the top of some of these hills, you can see for miles. And that was one thing we were bummed about because we knew we were going to hit that section at night. So we got to we kind of missed out on a lot of that. And the other thing I was really hoping to either see some wildlife, like a moose or a wolf or something, or see the northern lights because I've never seen those. Um, but it was really cloudy and overcast, which was nice for the middle of the day because it kind of kept the temperature lower, I think. If it mm-hmm. was sunny, it would have been hotter, but... Um, didn't get to see any uh, northern lights either. Yeah, we come down the last big hill called Wake Em Up Hill, and this is another wall, you know. We've done but, this before. But we knew it was the last one. Yeah. Because from there, there's no more hills. Right. Well, there is. It's just a false hill. Yeah. So we come come down that one and then turn around and kind of get on this, like, prairie. And it's just an open area for we're maybe 15 miles out i think yeah it was the last 15 and it's just a very very slow grade uphill yeah just a big false flat the whole way to the finish yeah which just wears out like i was at this point too i was falling asleep i was hitting a wall of like sleep being sleep deprived and i was you know at the point where you're riding along i'm just staring at alex's rear tire and I'd kind of nod off and look back up and nod off and look back up. and Yeah, and so with the concussion I was getting over, I, I'm i not sure if it was from the concussion or from dehydration, but probably like a little bit of both coming back from that. Um, when I was behind Ian at night, the bright – because you have to have your lights on all the time on the trail, and so he's got these red blinkies, and I was just messing with my eyes and my head being behind him. So I was like, I need to lead. Like I just got to be in the front so that way I don't have that mm-hmm. um, just shining in my face. And so we're on that last 10, 15-mile stretch, and I'm leading, and I can see Ian's headlight behind me shining forward, and then it just kind of waves off to the left and the right and then comes back into tow. And I'm just, like, looking back at Ian every time, like, did he drop or whatever? And he's like, no, he's still there. I'm just going to keep going. But I was, he kept talking about how tired he was, and I was pretty worried. I'm like, well, dude, take a five-hour. Like, we both brought two of them with And then I just hear Ian yell back, it's frozen. And so then I, like, look at my two... Uh, five hours and i was just like holy shit (laughs) and so like bring caffeine pills bring them in pill form (laughs) you can always take that yeah you we were trying to i put mine in my glove too but mine never thawed i don't know yours thawed quicker than mine well i was really you were on the verge of falling over and i didn't want to be on that trail longer than i had to be so i was trying like i did this for me not for you (laughs) i was trying to warm up the five hour and i kept rotating it in the palm of my hand and like moving it around trying to get every like all the surface area on it i could and it melted enough to where there was like a cylinder of ice in the middle of the bottle, but there was like liquid around the outside of it. And maybe got like a sip or two sips. Yeah, of it. I was like, "Here, drink this." Like, we it's an it's another hour. We'll be there in one hour. So before that, you uh, stopped to mess with your Garmin because your Garmin died. Yeah. And then you were trying to you turned on some music on your Bluetooth speaker. Yep. And I was kind of just sitting with like my head on my handlebars, like falling asleep while you were doing your thing. And and it was probably only a minute, two minutes, like that I was messing with stuff. Yeah, but it was like I was, you know, at the point of just like passing out on my handlebars. So you know, I'm just like sitting with my 
arms crossed or whatever and then you i hear the music start going and then you're just like all right time to time to get up and i was just like okay yep and yeah man i was i was doing okay at that point and then you know another half hour goes by or whatever and it's at this point we are on a flat straight trail that's mm-hmm. just monotonous you can't you can kind of see lights in the distance but uh thankfully trenton had warned us when you get closer to Tower and you see Fortune Bay, the casino where the finish is, you see the lights, and then the trail takes a hard hook, and then you start biking away from it, and then you make another left, and then you end up coming back into it. So when you see the lights, don't think you're just going straight to them because you're going to jog out of the way again. It's only like an extra four miles around, but it's still like it's defeating. <laughs> yeah, it was nice to know that ahead of time. Yeah. And we're biking along, and then there's just this like, um, like reflective thing way up ahead that I see on the trail and it kind of looked like somebody's like reflective vest or something and it's just slowly walking towards us. I'm like, that's really weird. Like there's no walkers out here. They're all way behind us and why is why are they this person slowly walking towards us? Like it's kind of creepy and as we get closer and closer I see that they're eyes and it's still just walking towards us and it's this huge deer. I think it was a doe but it was pretty massive and we're still biking because, like, we're not stopping. We're getting to the, like, you know, just trudging along. Like, at this point, we don't care. It's just, mm-hmm. like, whatever's happening. But we just see the eyes, and we didn't know if it was a wolf, a deer, a, like, what it was. And then we see that it's a deer, and then it just keeps walking towards us. And it was probably 15 feet away. Less than that. Yeah. And this thing was huge. And then it, it like... just slowly walks off to the side and just stares at us. Yeah. Like, literally feet away from us. It was just... not moving fast. It didn't have a care in the world. It's just like, this is my turf. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. And we just, you know, bike on by, and he's just looking at us. And... Yeah. And you could see the trails in the snow. It was walking on that trail for miles. Like, yeah. It, it was just following the snowmobile trail and the bike trail, the bike tires and... It was crazy, but that was the only wildlife. I'm like, we have deer everywhere. Like, <laughs> I want to see a wolf or a moose. Give me something exciting. Um, yeah, that was maybe five, ten miles out. <clears throat> we there's this last road crossing, and Alex's Garmin's dead, and I'm looking at the map on my Garmin, and just like, well, I can't. Like, I thought, you know, it's like 100. We're at like 133 miles or 132 miles, and we're so close. I'm just like, where is the finish? I don't see the dot or on the map. You know, I don't see the the thing and finally we turn like make a that left hook and then you can see the finish it's like a quarter mile up i'm just like thank god like i could we're here so i start picking up the pace a little bit just to get done and alex is like what are you doing like well i didn't know what mile we were at and i was just like head down in the zone doing my thing and i'm like why are we going faster (laughs) (laughs) i was just wanted to be done yeah like let's get it over with well, we, uh, at this point, it was like 3.50 in the morning. Yeah. We had been up the whole day and night, you know, exerting tons of energy. And yeah. <clears throat> we come around the corner and there's like the orange tape or the orange fencing. Yeah. So you can the shoot see, to the finish. Yeah. And of course, there's an uphill to the finish. There's always an uphill to the finish. So, you know, uh, like shift down into the granny gear and slowly crawl up this hill. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, get to the past the finish line. And and that banner that we've been uh, visualizing for the last two years that says Arrowhead 135 finish that goes, like, you know, across the trail that you ride underneath. They didn't have it this year. <laughs> it wasn't there. They had just, like, a post coming up the side that said finish Arrowhead and just like, dang it. <laughs> but um, one thing I, I heard about afterwards, um, the – not the first woman that finished, but the first woman that finished unsupported. She ended up sleeping in her bivy out on the trail in the middle of the night for like two or three hours. 
and uh, she woke up still in in the night when it was dark out and heard like some rustling next to her. And so she opened up her bivy and unzipped a little bit and looked out and saw a wolf directly across from where her bike was staring at her. And so she just zipped her bivy back up and waited for it to go away. And then she just packed her shit up real quick and got out of there, I guess. But it's like, you know, a lot of these people have beef sticks in their bags and like, you know, food to munch on or bacon bits or that's what a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. And I I could see an animal like that wanting to come get that. (laughs) So that was the only thing I heard of someone experiencing a wolf, but I was kind of hoping we would get to, but didn't happen. Yeah, I don't want to experience like that. I don't want to see a wolf outside of my bivy when I'm Well, sleeping. not outside the bivy, but if I'm on the bike and moving. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So then we got to the finish. Uh, they bring you inside and kind of check off some of your gear to make sure you finished with, like, you know, your 3,000 calories and all yeah. that stuff. And um, they bring you up to the, uh, what is it, like the racer suite or something. The hospitality room. Hospitality room, yeah. <laughs> you get to pick out your trophy, which is just this, like, immaculate uh, arrowhead trophy and they're all handmade so you get to pick which one you want because they're all different and then they've got food and soup and coca-cola and um there's probably like 15 people in there 20 people less than that yeah 10 Maybe or 10 <laughs> other racers and they're all just sitting there like pretty dead silent yeah like one guy's in the corner with his head on the table sleeping um their boots are off the room kind of smells funky and like you know the race official that walks us into the room is like yeah here we go the brother's finished and everybody's like yeah and claps and then just kind of dies back down (laughs) and then like you know every person that comes in every 20 30 minutes like we all clap and cheer them on and then everybody's just back to like uh like comatose state (laughs) yeah there's complete like you know autopilot or zombie you're so defeated yeah Yeah. and um then we heard two guys talking about the hot tub and that being open, we're just like, that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, we ended up uh, going back to our... And our dad is sleeping in the room now because he's going to drive back. Because so. he was up that whole time with us. He never slept. Yeah. Driving all the checkpoints and stuff. So he was just as sleep-deprived as we were. <clears throat> so we went back to the room. Uh, our dad's passed out, and we're getting our swimming trunks, and we go back to the hot tub. It's 5 in the morning now, and we're sitting in the hot tub with those two other, like, some two other people, and they're sharing some bottle of liquor at 5 in the morning after this race. (laughs) We're just talking about the experiences and going back and forth about stories, and one of the guys that we were chatting with, he's done it 13 times, which is, you know, absolutely madness. Yeah. He said when he first started doing it, you know, they didn't have fat bikes. It was like the endomorphs, yeah, early the, tires. Yeah, three-inch wide tire. That was the fattest tire. Yeah, that sounds insane. And it's not knobby at all. It's a pretty... You know, Slick tire. Yeah. Yeah, and it was kind of nice sitting in that hot tub, though, just to, like, get all the sweat off and, like, the chlorine and just clean yourself a little bit. Yeah, but. just take a bath with your sweaty racer body in the hot tub, Ian. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. sicko. <laughs> what else are hotel... <laughs> pools for but yeah it was fun chatting with them and uh hearing their stories about stuff (laughs) then after that uh we went back to the room and i took a shower yeah a civilized human and uh i get out expecting ian to hop in the shower after me and he's just face down on the bed passed out (laughs) on top of all the blankets like well i guess we'll see you in the morning (laughs) I told you, man, I was tired. Uh, yeah, yeah. I believe it. But that was a race. And uh, I forgot to mention this at the beginning, but 
I got a list of Instagram questions that I put up on my story. So I want to go through these and kind of answer them off. There's some pretty good ones in here that would be fun to chat about, but I know it's getting, the episode's kind of going a little bit long, but that's all right. So the first question uh, is, why don't you guys wear helmets during these long winter races? Uh, if you want to go, you can explain it. Well, so they're, they're not required gear for these, um, both Toscobia and Arrowhead. It's, it's not part of the required stuff. And so not having a helmet on, in my opinion, it's one less thing to... Um, one less layer to try to deal with and like if you want to switch hats or like you might get more sweaty having a helmet on it doesn't help you at all trying to manage get that layers st- yeah to manage your stuff other than maybe having a, a light on it i think there i saw a few people with helmets out on the course just because they had their light mounted on their helmet we just use like a a headlamp like a black diamond or a petzl or a, mm-hmm. you know the climbing helmet or a light kind of thing and um the other reason you're going, you know, five miles an hour, ten miles an hour for the majority of this race. There are some downhills where you we hit like twenty nine, thirty, I was say we 30 miles an hour. Yeah. So that part, I guess, is you know pretty dangerous. But the snow is four feet deep on either side. As long as you don't hit a tree, which I'm pretty good at, you'll be okay. <laughs> but um, the other thing, the the only real concern out there, because you're not crossing highways too much, you're not running into other people. You see snowmobiles. And we didn't see that many, honestly, which was kind of nice. The race starts on a Monday, mm-hmm. I think, to avoid snowmobile traffic because most of them are out on the weekends. Yeah. But um, that's the main concern out there is these snowmobiles flying by you. And some of them might have a few drinks in them. They might be, you know, not paying attention. They're going 60, 70, you know, whatever. They're Easily. supposed to slow down when they pass you, but they don't always. Right. And if you get hit by a snowmobile, that helmet's not going to do anything. You're going to get split in half. Like, there's no way to prevent that. And so that's the biggest reason that. I don't wear a helmet. It's just easier to regulate your layers, and then it's not going to do me a ton of good. Right. I mean, yeah, we're we're avid, you know, helmet wearers. I mean, we wear them all the time, like in the cities and commuting and stuff. Yeah. Just these long winter ultras, you know, it's not a necessity. And if you want to change your hat or something, you got to take your helmet off. Swap. It's just it's one less thing to deal with. Right. One and it's you know, <clears throat> less one, gear to less, bring, less weight to carry. Granted, we weren't trying to be as lightweight as possible, but <laughs> I was gonna say our bikes are probably like seventy pounds. Like you were saying, being that we always wear helmets, I was kind of excited to like, oh, I don't have to wear one for this race. Like that's kind of nice. Yeah. But the uh, next one I got is what tire pressure were you using, and then what tires were you using? Uh, <clears throat> for me, I had. The 45 North Dunderbeast in the rear and then the Rathlord in the front. I added a studded tire in the front just because it's kind of what I run commuting and it's just the tire setup and I didn't, I don't really care enough. It's to change out my tires constantly. So it's just, I want to pick, you know, a knobby, a really, you know, like wide footprint and a tire that's going to work in every condition just so I have that bomb proof setup. The one, the Dunderbeast is a 4.6 and then the Rathlord I think is a 4.2. So they're both pretty wide, and I had a 70-millimeter rim on the front and then a 100-millimeter rim on the rear. So the rear is just a paddle. It's a super wide footprint. Yeah, when you had your rear was aired down pretty low. You were probably close to, like, 5 PSI or, like, 7 or something. Yeah, it was definitely below 10. But riding behind you, yeah, it was just, like, an 8-inch wide track on the trail from your tire. <laughs> just this fat footprint. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the tire pressure, I don't... I don't really kind of measure my tire pressure. I go by feel just because I think it's, I don't know, it's easier to like kind of go off of like put your thumb on the tire and kind of press in or put your palm on it and see like how spongy is it. Or when you pedal, you know, you can kind of feel like that bounciness in the tire. So you kind of know like how low is it or how firm is it. But I think that's just 
it's easier for me doing it like on the side of the trail versus trying to figure out like oh six psi or four psi is the perfect number it's like just kind of ride by feel absolutely yeah and then on my black burrow i had uh 70 millimeter rims front and rear so the same on the back and the front and then in the front i have a uh rathchild which is a 4.6 tire uh full studs and then in the rear um what do i have on there the dillinger five yes that's what i was running and that was fully studded too so that's a 4.6 inch tire as well and so i just i want to get as much flotation as i can get the widest tire on there um i like having studs front and rear because i'm riding a cargo bike i'm not a weight weenie like it I don't care about having extra studs on there. I'd rather have it when I need it than get into a position where it's really icy and slick and then I'm screwed. Mm-hmm. So I just always run that. Um, and tire pressure, same thing. I kind of go off of feel. I just I like to start the race at a little bit higher pressure, especially with it being hard pack. And then uh, I bled some air out at the first stop on my rear tire just so I could get a little bit better traction digging in and uh, float a little bit better. But I was probably just under 10 PSI maybe. Yeah, I probably I started out way too low of pressure. I could have aired mine up a little bit. I don't know why I didn't. I just I was I was expecting to scobia. That's where my head was, you know, really soft shitty snow, so I was just yeah. planning for mm-hmm. it, but it ended up being really nice. <clears throat> and uh speaking of which, that goes into the third question. Besides your rain gear, how did your kit differ from your Tascobia setup? Um well, yeah, so like Rain gear wasn't a necessity. Uh, with Tuscobia, I brought a lot of extra layers because it was going to be wet, so I wanted dry stuff to change into. So I didn't bring nearly as many layers. Um, I always wear kind of the same base layer. Um, I had just chamois, like bibs on underneath, and a tank top that breathes really well. And then my 45 North not been pants over my bibs. Oh, and long underwear. And then... 45 North not been pants. And then I had a long sleeve wool uh, on and then my not been jacket. And that was what I was wearing. Um, and then just like a hat and I don't think I had a buff on. Really. You had like a full oh, face balaclava. A, yeah, it was the, the balaclava. Um, and then I had, you know, an extra balaclava. I had an extra pair of gloves. I had an extra wool long sleeve. An extra set of everything, basically. Yeah, and two pairs of socks. Yeah. Because my feet always sweat and get wet. And granted, your boot liners get wet, so you put on dry socks, and then once you stick your foot back in your boot, they get wet again. But it's nice once you get to a checkpoint just to take strip the wet stuff off and put on dry socks because while you're just sitting there for that hour, you're it's nice. You don't want to get that trench foot. Trench foot. Um... Yeah, mine was pretty much the same. Like, starting out at the beginning of the race, it was pretty identical to what I had for Tuscovia because I had the Torvald jacket, the super lightweight, thin one. I had a Surly Marina wool long sleeve. And then I had a Louis Garneau kind of skin-tight tank top. And then regular uh, cycling shorts with chamois. And then I guess I did have uh, long underwear as well. I didn't have long underwear for Tuscobia, but... Then I had my the Nodvin pants. Those are nice just because they're, you know, waterproof and they're pretty, like, thick. And um, my boots, I had the Wolfgars. Those I also had for Tuscobia just because they're kind of, they're bomb-proof, basically. Yeah, those are really nice. And the removable liners, the wool liners. So, like, when we were at Tuscobia, we pulled the liners out to dry them off. 
Mm-hmm. Um, didn't do that at this race just because we were feeling pretty good with it. Um, but changed socks and stuff. But the Wolfgars were super nice for these conditions. And then uh, this kind of goes into the same long lines with Tascobia, but how would you compare, or can you compare Tascobia with Arrowhead as much as you can? I know they're very different races, but as best as you can. Well, I guess with Tascobia, we'll say we're comparing the 160 to the 135. Yeah. Um, the sleep deprivation is the same. I mean, trying to ride your bike and stay awake for that long of a period of time, like that doesn't get easier with either one. That's my biggest hurdle is trying to deal with being tired on the bike. Oh, yeah? <laughs> you can't bike when you're asleep, man. <laughs> um, and then what was the question? The biggest way they differ? Yeah, or, like comparing them to. Oh, yeah. Um, Arrowhead was nice because it keeps you like mentally aware because the trail's constantly changing and it mm-hmm. kind of goes by quicker. Tuscobia, you're just in this rhythm and just like going and you don't get to coast on any downhills. You don't get a break from biking. Like with Arrowhead, at least there were some downhills where we could coast and give your legs a break. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, the terrain is changing. The scenery is changing. With Tuscobia, it's kind of the same thing. I think Tuscobia brings on a different set of challenges because it is so ch- such a boring trail. It's more of a, like a mental challenge. Yeah. You, you got to be really mentally strong to kind of persevere that monotonous you know pedaling yeah absolutely and with arrowhead you just have to be accepting of the hills and the cold and managing your layers i think and because arrowhead it always changes like constantly there's like low spots where we go through some uh some bogs and swamps and stuff and all the cold air settles into these low points on the course and everybody talks about how you'll get to this bog before mel george and it's going to be 10 degrees colder than everywhere else Mm -hmm. so expect that and you don't get that with tuscobia because it's the same elevation the whole way right and you also get more places to stop along the way because there's a lot more highway crossings gas stations towns tuscobia they encourage you to stop in at a bar and get a burger they encourage you to go to a gas station and patronize the local um establishments yeah just to bring money into it and at arrowhead if you go into any place that's not a checkpoint you're disqualified you're not allowed to get outside help you're not allowed to go into any establishments they want you to be completely alone on the trail completely isolated being isolated and like yeah that's their intent with this is to like break you (laughs) (laughs) the only help you can get is from other racers and i think that's why everyone is so like helpful or just like are you good you need any food or whatever exactly exactly um also i wanted to mention uh, as a quick side note while we were on the arrowhead trail like talking about how the snow is super deep there was at one point when i was kind of falling asleep by that sleep deprivation i my front wheel kind of got off the trail just like to scobia and i fell into the side of the deep snow and alex looks over and he can't even see me because i'm yeah (laughs) he he was below like flushed with the snow i just saw his bike wheels (laughs) And it was funny because earlier on in the trail, I saw a couple of those just like human prints on the side of the trail. Right. Just like, oh, someone fell in. But yeah, I don't know. That just reminded me. Well, of then that your story. whole pogie filled up with snow. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So my pogie was. You com- were pissed. You were freaking out. <laughs> it was just like my. That's where I hold on. Like my, I'm fucked. Yeah, yeah there's gonna be water everywhere. <laughs> yeah. We ended up just flipping his bike upside down and shaking it all out. Yeah. And then, like- uh, what like uh two goose fell out a peanut butter sandwich like all of this other <laughs> stuff inside of his pokey falls into the ground yeah his glove f- liner like all of the foods yeah uh so 
this is an interesting one, but I don't know how much, well, we might be able to get a, a little bit, but I feel like we didn't get the full Arrowhead experience with how warm it was this year. But what advice would you offer now as a race veteran to a rookie wanting to take on this Arrowhead? Um, I get, Like you're saying, you know, we didn't really experience like how gnarly this course can get given conditions. But um, as far as preparation, I'd say we did a good job preparing for it. And my biggest thing would be know your gear and be comfortable using it. So going out and camping when it's zero degrees, go ride your bike for six hours at a time in the cold when the conditions are uncomfortable because that's where you're going to be in this race and you're not going to have a choice. Mm -hmm. And so being able to do that beforehand and know what that feels like and what it's like being in those environments is a huge thing versus like, well, I read a lot about it and you know, I, I know what to expect, but until you're in that position where it's cold out, you can't feel your fingers and you need to, you know, fix a mechanical on your bike and dig through your pack to get to your tool to fix the mechanical. You're not going to know what to expect. And adding on to that too, I think it's also important to mention the preparation is huge, but you don't want to overanalyze everything. You don't want to overthink it. Right. You know, you just like roll with the punches. It's like, just kind of go with the flow a little bit. It, that, it helps just not getting in your own head, just kind of riding with it. Like if you've done the experience, you've done your homework, you've done the training. And then when you're in the midst, you're in the shit and you're, you know, dead and fatigued, you're, you're accepting of like, this is it. You know, I, that was one thing too I wanted to mention. I think this race was a lot better mentally. I didn't, you know, wasn't like right. dying and screaming and, you know. Well, and you got to ride for this too. You didn't have your ankle injury, so you were a little bit better off. Yeah, I was with, way more prepared. That's the other thing with my concussion. Um, I wasn't commuting my bike to work. I wasn't riding on the weekends. I rode twice in the two weeks before race day, and they were short, really easy rides. And so I was kind of in Ian's boat of Tuscobia where I was like, I, I mean, like I feel strong. Like I put the miles in, but two weeks before this, like I haven't ridden at all mm -hmm. just to try to recover and rest as much as I could. Um, but luckily it ended up working out. Okay. Did, um, did it make it easier or harder for you to ride with your brother? Um, I think the confidence goes up because you got two people there. Um, being out there by yourself, totally isolated would be pretty scary. They like you're out there. Um, as far as pace and stuff, I mean, we ride together usually anyways, so we keep a pretty similar rhythm and pace. It's not like one of us is waiting up for the other. Mm -hmm. So I think that works out really well. Um, I don't think it's a huge negative detriment other than like some points where one of us is like really down and just like pissed about it. And the other one's like, Having no, I got time. energy. I can keep like right. that last 10 mile stretch. I could have pulled away and kept going, but it's like. I don't give a shit. I just want to get to the finish, like, whenever we get there. Mm -hmm. But that's the only thing. Sometimes when one of us is bonking and the other one could carry a pace, maybe. Right. Well, I think part of it, though, like, it just end up in a wash anyways. Like, because right. we, we both have those low points at different times. Exactly. We would end up at the same time anyways because we'd be going slower, faster. Exactly. and I think it, it does help to have that person to talk to or, like, someone to just go off of. Yeah. But having that communication that conversation definitely helps quite a bit but doing it alone i feel like would be i don't know i'm kind of curious what it would be like you'd be completely isolated you get way up well, in a lot of head. people have headphones you know yeah. we don't we didn't listen to anything until the last hour or two and so we're just out there in the silence and you stop out there and you it is dead silent it's crazy it's really cool yeah it's a little scary <laughs> 
Just like, what's like, out there? No animals, no wind, just nothing. <laughs> just like, where are we? Yeah. We're not in, uh, where is it? Not in Kansas anymore? Yeah. I'm in danger. <laughs> uh, All right. The next one is, uh, will you go back? Um, so in the middle of the race, we were both just like, why are we like, I don't want to do another winter ultra. This is this stupid, especially doing two back to back month to month. It's so hard and it hurts so bad. <laughs> and then there was a point where I was just like, I don't know if I want to do these races anymore. And then like, you know, the, even the next day when we woke up, I was like, I'm going to do it again. I don't know if it's going to be next year, but I'm going to do it again. Cause it's like, you can do it unsupported. You can do these. And it's mm-hmm. like, there's other things to check off. And also like we were saying, this was a really high finish rate year. Um, 72 people finished out of the, let's see here, uh, 78 started and 72 finished. So usually it's more For like biking fi- category. Just biking. Yep, just biking. And usually that's closer to 50%. And so this year it was really, really high. And so I feel like we need to do it when, or I, at least I want to do it on a year when there's uh, real, condi- real, the real experience. Because I don't know if I can do that. Like, that's yeah. the test, you know? I think we can do it, but I, I don't think we're going to be able to... Well, we might be able to do it in 22 hours. Who knows? If it's super hard-packed, it's like pavement. Yeah. Get more speed on the downhills, carry it up the uphills more. All right. This is the uh, last question. It's a, I think it's a good one to wrap everything up with. What's next? Well, that's <laughs> that's up for debate. Um, spilled beans? Uh, I don't know. We, if... <laughs> we've been thinking about doing this thing called the Everest Challenge. Where you pick a hill and you bike up and down it until you've climbed the elevation of Mount Everest, which is about 28,000 feet. Um, but after doing this, we, we might push that back. It's going to happen at some point, but that we don't, we don't know exactly when. We wanted to do it in the winter because we're like, yeah, let's do real Everest conditions. Like, let's be hardcore, dude. And now we're just like, how about we do it in the summer? I'm broken. <laughs> I need to put my pieces back together before I do those things again. <clears throat> but so there's Everesting, and then there's a High Roller Society, which is a, kind of a separate but same where instead of doing the amount of Everest, you climb 10,000 meters, which is like 33,000 feet or yeah. something. And so we in, in one go, yeah, in one ride. And we were talking, we we're like, well, if we're gonna do 28,000, we might as well do the extra five to get the big one. I mean, why not? It's yeah. only the extra 5,000 feet, yeah. And we're not talking about the Zwift challenge, <laughs> <laughs> this is an outside activity, yeah. No trainers in this house, <laughs> that's a good, that's funny. No trainers in this house, but yeah, so I don't know, that's about it for what's next. I mean recover and keep riding there is the order of the rim there's that would be cool to get where you got to do all, all three of those races in one season yeah. so it's tiscobia arrowhead and then aptic epica yeah right. active epica yeah and so that one's in canada in it's uh, february yeah so that's tiscobia december arrowhead january active in february and you have to finish all three of them in one season and you don't know what the conditions are going to be and so if you finish all three in one season you get this like prestigious award for um, the Order of the Rimthers, which are like the Norwegian gods of frost or something like that. And um, it's it's a pretty cool thing. And that's we were talking to one guy that's done it a handful of times. He's like, well, you already did the two. Like, just sign up for this one in February. And it's like, well, Ian doesn't have a passport, and I don't want to. <laughs> so uh, Using me as an excuse. Uh, no, even if you had a passport, I'd be like, 
No. <laughs> but it would be cool to do, and we've already knocked out two of them this season, so it's like, if it's looking like a milder winter, maybe this is the year to do it. Uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. I hope you enjoyed. That was uh, a little bit longer, but I think... No, that was good. And then, yeah, it was nice having the questions just to go through some of the technical stuff that we have on our bikes and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Shout out to 45 North for helping us out with gear and tires and stuff and um, giving us what we need to be able to take on these kind of races. Yeah, definitely. I, that was one thing, too, with the uh, with our pogies. Like, you had the just the right liners on for a while, or did you have Just the, the first bit to Gateway, and then I was wearing uh, the Sturmfist 5s. Oh, okay. I had the... the knocking gloves for pretty much the whole race and that worked really well until i think it was like surly or just before surly i put on the the Sturmfist fours or Sturmfist, yeah the Sturmfist fours the blue ones that have like a lobster fingers yeah but i appreciate you listening this is pretty cool that i've had a lot of you know support with these couple episodes about these races and I mean, maybe we'll have to do another one the next... Uh... Yeah, well, <laughs> if we end up doing Damn Day Across Minnesota, that we did it last summer, it's 240 miles in 24 hours Yeah, from South Dakota to Wisconsin. We'll, we'll have to do a report on that. There's a couple other it. races, too, that we have that yeah, it would be fun to do some reports. We got a few irons in the fire. <laughs> but I really hope this inspired you to get out and ride your bike. I mean, that'd be cool. Do it. Ride in the winter, ride in all weather, get familiar with your gear and... Don't let the weather stop you. Yeah. So uh, one last thing, Make Happiness Podcast. I wanted to touch on this quick. Like with the like all these races and all the stuff we're doing, we do like it's you know self induced pain, self induced suffering, but we do enjoy it. Like there's a reason we're doing these events, and there's a reason we're doing all this kind of stuff. And that's kind of like what I was alluding to when we were out on the course and it was just pissed and talking about like, do, why did I, why do we do these things? And then, you know, a day goes by and then I was like, yeah, I'll do it again, but not, maybe not next year, but I'm going to do it again. Cause you, you, a day goes by, you reflect on it. You think about all the conversations you had with people. You think about all the, um, cool scenery you got to see and experience and all of the experiences that and the people, the volunteers, the memories, exactly all of it. And that's what makes it worthwhile. It's just this insane camaraderie between all the different racers out there all the different disciplines it's not like you're at a skate park and there's bikers and skaters and scooters and they're like oh get out of my way you biker i'm on a skateboard and like this hatred Mm -hmm. between them everybody out there's got the same mentality everybody's on the same team everybody's trying to get to that same finish line Mm -hmm. and everybody's trying to push every other racer to get to that finish line and when you get to that finish line it's such a you know exceptional like feeling of accomplishment to Mm -hmm. like when we were packing up our bikes and putting our stuff in the trailer someone had just finished that morning and this is you know maybe like 10 30 or 11 in the morning we're leaving to go drive back home and someone's just crossing the finish line he's dead tired he's destroyed and i'm just like welcome to tower he just looks up and grins and he's just like thanks man He's just like just yeah. so happy to be there. That ecstasy when you cross the finish line, you just reach a state of happiness that makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, but cool. Well, that's maybe, it. Maybe not a state of happiness, a state of satisfaction. Yeah, it's <laughs> a, let me rephrase. It's a, a yeah, a comfort, a kind of calmness, like a excitement that you're done. Um, it's a good feeling to finish these things and look back and say, yeah, I fucking did that. <laughs> And now it is done. But cool. Well, always remember, make some happiness. And I hope to maybe see you out there on the trail. Mm